0: Open your Bibles to Isaiah 56, but we're going to use this wonderful book and three different addresses in this book to kind of recount what God has done here at CCT. And let me just say at the outset, this is the Lord's church. The Lord began this church. The Lord has strengthened this church. The Lord has blessed this church. And it's the Lord we're going to honor at this church this Sunday morning where we celebrate 20 years of what he has done. Now, I'm going to weave some history through our time. And I want to first tell you that on the first Sunday of March, March 7th, 1999, 19 people met in Dave and Rhonda's uh, family room. Dave would later become Pastor Dave, uh, who just uh, showed you he doesn't know how to spell an acronym. Uh, <laughs> But what a tremendous asset uh, Dave and Rhonda have been over the years. But we started in their family room. And on March 7th, 1999, CCT was born. Tonight we're going to look back through pictures, videos, and memorabilia at some of the things that God has done. But this morning, we're going to take a spiritual look back, even as I inform some of you and remind others of you, of all the things that God has brought us to and through throughout the years. Now, Our title is going to require a bit of a lengthy introduction. And I'm going to have to ask you to remember a story, an encounter Jesus had with a young man that we have dubbed the rich young ruler. Now, Jesus ran through the commands and the young man said, I've kept all these from my youth. And Jesus said, you lack one thing, however. You need to sell all you have and give it to the poor. Take up the cross and follow me. Now, at this... Mark 10, to 27 says, the rich young ruler was sad at this word and he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Then we're told the disciples were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with men, it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. Do you believe that today? Now, two things for us to consider before I give us our title, and that is, This does not apply to everyone. Jesus hasn't told everyone. This wasn't some broad brush statement or general statement to the whole body of Christ. In order to follow him, you have to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. But this was this man's problem because the fact is he had many goods, but the truth is the goods actually had him and he didn't want to let go of them. But this was his obstacle to following Christ. Now, the second thing to consider is we cannot think this applies to no one because we also need to recognize This type of thing still happens, especially in this age of materialism where material gain is not necessarily healthy for someone's spiritual health. And the Lord may say, you know what? Set all that stuff aside, take up your cross and follow me. So we need to understand there's specific application to this. But we also need to take note that the disciples were astonished at what he said. And then when he gave an interpretation of what he said, that those who trust in riches, they were greatly astonished because the truth was many rabbis taught that if you are in good health and have obtained wealth, that you are pleasing to God. And therefore, if you are unhealthy and unwealthy, you must be out of favor with God or displeasing to him in some way. Therefore, Jesus gave this illustration. He said, you know, really, it's easy for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he gave the answer that gives us our title this morning and the theme for our time and even exposes a bit of the history of CCT. And our title is simply what we read a moment ago, with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. Now I want to take us back to the beginning of of what God has done at CCT and walk through a bit of our history just for your information. We're going to pick up some realities along the way that are still true today that we have experienced as a collective body. Now, the first thing I wanna look at actually hung over my desk for 16 years and it's verse seven of Isaiah 56, where the Lord said, his house shall be called a house of prayer. So I wanna start with Isaiah 56 1 through 7, we'll talk about some of CCT's CCT's history and we'll glean a personal application point. So, would you stand and read with me, please, Isaiah 56, verses 1 through 7, and we'll learn that with God all things are possible. Verse 1 Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, and my salvation is about to come, and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, and the son of a man who lays hold on it, who keeps from defiling the Sabbath, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, Here I am, a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, and choose what pleases me, and hold fast my covenant. Even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name. Better than that of sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Also, the sons of the foreigner who joined themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from the filing the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And Lord, we thank you that we have so much to celebrate today and to remember today of all the awesome and wonderful things you have done, are doing, and will continue to do. So Lord, as we look back. May we be inspired. May we fondly remember some of the things that we have experienced. And Lord, may you receive all the glory for that which we speak of this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I thought it important to begin our text with these particular verses because the Lord reveals his love for the Gentiles, for the foreigners, for all peoples to come into his house and be a part of what he is doing. And he mentions his house here. And in Isaiah's day, that could refer to a synagogue. It could refer to uh, Solomon's temple. But today we also have a place we call the house of the Lord. Now the house of the Lord for us is a church as we're sitting in now. Now the picture presented is that anyone who honors God Anyone who keeps his word and joins himself to the Lord have a shared expectation of an everlasting name that shall not be cut off, no matter their nationality or their former religious practices and beliefs. In other words, God's house should be filled and should look like just what the old children's Sunday school song says. Red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Listen this morning. If you look around, you will see people of all backgrounds, skin tones economic status and that's exactly what the church ought to look like we're not a white church we're not a black church we're not an indian church we're not hispanic church we're not a filipino church we're not a jewish church we're not a gentile church we are the church of jesus christ blood bought by him on the cross and everything we used to be matters not for we are one in christ now twice the lord refers to his house as a house of prayer. Now, this has been the testimony of CCT throughout our history together. Now, we met in Pastor Dave and Rhonda's house. That's where this church was born. We spent three weeks there. Then we moved into a clubhouse in the Tustin Meadows housing track and we met there for about three months and we were starting to get some pressure to move out if i remember there was a tiny tots group who were using it and others were putting pressure on us because we were there every single week and no one could use it for a birthday party so we began to pray and look for another place to meet we inquired of local schools and we Got wind that the school district wasn't exactly open to letting churches use their facilities because of some problems they had had with damage to some of the classrooms and missing items and things of that nature. So we kind of were a little concerned that that door may not open for us, but when we were still in the clubhouse, I'll never forget it, I remember it to this day. There was a family of four, a couple and their two sons came walking in to the clubhouse in Tustin Meadows. They're still with us today, and we're at first, first service this morning. Paul and Letitia Barozo and their two sons, Matt and Chris. Well, Letitia just happened to work for the school district. What a coincidence. So she walked us through put the paperwork in front of the right person. And the next thing you know, we weren't in the clubhouse in Tustin Meadows anymore. We were at Columbus Tustin Middle School in the multi room. God had answered our prayers and opened another door. We were there for about four months. And at that time, um, the men's prayer breakfast was actually at our house with one of the greatest pancake makers in the entire world who's sitting on the front row. And the guys would gather the first Saturday of every month, and we would have breakfast, or second Saturday of every month, and we would have breakfast at our house. And one Saturday morning at the prayer breakfast, this guy brings a copy of the penny saver, and he shows me just a single line ad. And I'll never forget it. Its letters look like this big to me. And it said, church site available in Tustin. So, well, the next Monday, two days later, I called... Greenberg and associates here in Tustin and said, hey, I wanted to inquire about the church site available in Tustin. And the lady there said, the property manager, well, actually we gave the keys to another church and we've already made a deal with somebody else. And I said, well, you know, deals don't always work out. Maybe we could go look at it. Maybe we could just go over there and look at it. So she said, sure, wouldn't hurt anything, come grab a key. Well, the next Sunday, the 80 to 100 adults that were meeting over Columbus Tustin, most of them went over to 330 West Sixth Street. And we went into this place that was once a church that was now a tape duplicating factory, so to speak. They're running pallet jacks all over the carpet. It was an absolute mess. The colors were terrible. It was beautiful. (laughs) And we stood in a circle and we prayed and we prayed for the church that had the keys. And then we prayed, nevertheless, your will be done. If this is our place, we ask you for it in Jesus' name. The next day, say the next day. The next day, I got a call. I wish I could remember her name, but I can't. But I got a call from the lady at Greenberg and Associates. She said, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why I'm doing this. But I asked the other church for the keys back because... I think Calvary Chapel Tustin needs to be at 330 West 6th Street and we got the building. Yeah. Now, interesting as we moved forward and began to grow our little sanctuary that seated 225 people and we bought a Costco, those little Costco blue padded chairs. I don't know why they called them padded because the only padding was the fabric but we bought enough to fill that sanctuary for what the fire marshal would allow. We had three services at that time and we began to pray for more room. We took on two more suites in the complex to accommodate our growing children's ministry. And then across the parking lot from us, A carpet and drape manufacturer either moved or they went out of business. But whatever happened to them, I don't know. But what I do know is that there was 6,700 square feet that could seat almost 400 people right across the parking lot. And we began to pray and ask the Lord for his will to be done. Well, his will was is that we moved across the parking lot and had a new sanctuary and turned our old one into the fellowship hall. We went back to two services because the room was bigger, but after a year, we were back doing three services once again. Now, fast forward another dozen years or so, and we kept hearing rumors that our old complex, which was owned by an Iranian Jew, interestingly, was going to be up for sale and possibly torn down. We had far less parking than we needed. We got into the place where people were parking down all the side streets, and we tried to be as courteous as possible to the neighbors. And then a local charter school said, hey, we saw a building that's completely empty and there's a church on the property, but they don't use the main sanctuary. You happen to be sitting in it now. And said, why don't you guys approach them and then we can lease the educational facility from you. Well, I was raised Nazarene, so I know a little bit of how they work. I know about their boards and their structures and the head office in Kansas City. So I told Pastor Dave, call anybody and everybody. And see what we can do. See if we can work out a deal. Well, he talked to the pastor here at this church at the time. And immediately he gave us the answer, no. (laughs) Not interested. Not going to do it. Well, we continued to look. We'd already been looking for another place. But we continued to look and pray. And after 18 months, having heard no repeatedly through our efforts, all of a sudden, through miraculous means, And actually we had a word from the Lord, from a dear brother who's now with the Lord about something that he had, and I'll never forget it as Richard came to me, very anxious and nervous and said, I don't normally do this kind of thing. But the Lord told me that the place he has for us is from a hundred year old congregation where the pastor retired and the church is shrunk down and now they have a big vacant sanctuary that nobody's using. That's exactly the scenario of this place. And we never told anybody. So I'm thinking, okay, God's not done yet. So we kept praying. People kept praying. And then all of a sudden, after 18 months of no, that no turned into, when can you move in? And here we are. God is on the move. Amen. So here's the point, And here's the thing I want you to take home from this. We prayed and God opened the doors for Columbus Tustin Middle School. We prayed and God opened the door for our first place on 6th Street. We prayed and God opened the door for a bigger sanctuary on 6th Street. We prayed and the Lord opened the doors for us to be here. There's a pattern there. Maybe you picked up on it. Pray and God will open doors. But for this place, we prayed for 10 years and then it finally happened. But it happened right on time. Now, I say that because CCT has always been a house of prayer. This is God's house. People ought to be a praying people. Now, this takes us to the first thing I want you to take home in remembrance of our 20th anniversary. And that's just this. Here's a point of application. Listen, with God, the humanly impossible is a regular occurrence. With God, the humanly impossible, excuse me, is a regular occurrence. You know, if God has something for you, it doesn't matter if somebody else has the keys. God can turn things around immediately. If God has something for you, it doesn't matter that you get 18 months or 18 years of no, when it's time, it's going to happen. Because God is in control. And with God, the humanly impossible is a regular occurrence. Now, we know this. Our church history proves this to be true. And therefore, if it was true in the past, it's true in the present. And it will be true in the future. That's where you say, Now, we're reminded by Jesus in Mark eleven twenty two to 24, where he said to them, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, <coughs> excuse me, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you will receive them and you will have them. That is still true for believers today. God is not hampered or hindered by humanly impossible situations. As a matter of fact, that's where he does some of his best work. Amen. Now, our next two texts are two of my favorite verses. If you've ever been here for any length of time, over a period of months, you'll hear me quote these. I quote them all the time because they're just good. And here's one of them. And we'll find our next point and our recall of history from it. Isaiah 43, two and three says, when you pass through the waters, I hope you make it. When you pass through the waters, I will be what? With you, With you. and through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am, here's why. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your what? You know, how many saviors are there? One. There's just one. He is our savior. Now, let me say this. The church has not replaced Israel. Excuse me again. Israel is Israel and the church is the church. Both are God's chosen people. The Jews are God's chosen people by birth. Christians are God's chosen people by faith. And one group is not, excuse me, interchangeable with the other. Maybe I should take a drink instead of coughing in your ear. There we go. Now, I say this to set up our next point. There is an exception to that rule. <clears throat> we cannot take things in the Old Testament, apply them to the church as they relate to promises made to Israel. However, the exception is when we're talking about something concerning God's character or nature, because he is unchanging, whenever we encounter something like that, we're free to appropriate it for ourselves from the Old Testament as New Testament Christians. <clears throat> Goodness sakes. No. We can establish this as truth from two words from the verse we just read. He promised to be with us when we pass through the waters. He promised that the rivers of life will not overflow us. He promised when we walk through the fire we shall not be burned, nor will the flames scorch us, because He is the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, that's a messianic title, our Savior. so Jesus is the holy one of Israel therefore he is also the I am in John 6.35 Jesus said to them I am the bread of life he who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst then in John 8.12 Jesus spoke and said I am the light of the world he who follows me shall not walk in darkness but shall have the light of life 10.9 of John I am the door if anyone enters by me, he will be saved <coughs> and we'll go in and out and find pasture. And then he says in 10:11, "I am the Good Shepherd, the good Shepherd gives his life for the sheep." 11:25 Jesus said to Martha, I am and Mary, the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live." Then the famous statement of 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Then finally, the seventh of the famous I am statements of the Gospel of John, Jesus declares himself to be the vine. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do. And then Paul would write in Philippians 14, in Christ we can do all things through him who will strengthen us. Do the Gentiles have a different Savior than the Jews? Does the church have a different Savior than Israel? Then therefore, the Holy One of Israel is our Savior too, and He is the great I Am. Now, Isaiah 43, 2 and 3 also points back to a portion of CCT's history because we have passed through waters. We have gone through some troubling rivers. We have had some fiery trial-type experiences. Now... When we moved into our new sanctuary uh, over on 6th Street, we paid cash for all the renovations. The Lord blessed us, allowed us to pay for everything. We had no debt. We finished everything and paid cash in full for it. When we moved here, we paid cash for all the many renovations that were done to this place. And at the end of the renovation, there was no debt that had been accumulated. Now I say that because those two events were some 12 years apart. And in between those two moves, was 2008 and if you remember what 2008 was like I sure do it was an interesting time period for us now listen something happened years ago that really struck a chord with me in a negative way and I prayed and told the Lord listen if we ever are so honored and blessed to pastor a church and have the responsibility of caring for your people. We're not going to be misers with your resources. We're gonna make sure we help people. We're gonna make sure we clothe the naked and feed the hungry and do all the things that you would have us to do. I don't know how many cars we have bought for people over the years. I don't know how many sets of tires your ties, and offerings have put on cars of people who couldn't afford them and reach a dangerous stage. There are countless tanks of gas that have been purchased and repairs made to cars and motel rooms paid, even rents and mortgages paid where people had found themselves through sickness or whatever in hard times. We've not always been able to help, but we've helped whenever we can. And the Lord directed us to do so because it's always been a vision, part of the vision of this church. Now, just for a little backdrop to tell you about some waters we passed through When the housing market crashed in 2008, the offering dropped by 50%. Then it dropped by 60%. Then it dropped by 70%. And we were struggling, obviously, and we stayed a full staff as long as we could as far as some support personnel. But then the fact was we had to make some cutbacks and our paychecks became sporadic and at times even rare. We called the man who owned the complex, again, an Iranian Jewish man. He lowered our rent. He worked with us all the way through. And I tell you all this for one reason. In those lean years that followed, we made every single rent payment and God met every single personal need of the pastoral staff here at the church, even though things were very lean for us all. And I can testify that more than once, house payments were made one day before they went 30 days overdue. Now, the reason for that is this. When we passed through the waters at CCT, they did not overtake us. And the fiery trials, we did not get burned. Now, here's my favorite part. When we went through the fiery trials, we did not get burned, and we didn't burn anybody else. We paid all of our bills. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, here's the takeaway. Here's why I shared... All that with you and why I'm wiping my nose before that. That had nothing to do with anything. I don't know why it popped in my head, but it came in here. So it came out here and you got it. So you can delete it if you want. You probably should. Now, here's the thing I want you to take away. With God, say with God, nothing in life will ever be faced alone. With God, nothing in life will ever be faced alone. And Hebrews tells us in thirteen five and 6, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you, except for maybe some of you. <laughs> no, I will never leave you nor forsake you so we may boldly or with confidence say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Listen, the Lord has been our help every step of the way. And he has not and will not ever leave nor forsake any of us. So man-created economic roller coasters cannot take us down and they cannot overtake us. Now, this is a good place to remember that the church is actually people. And therefore, this is a personal point of application as well. In 1 Corinthians 3 9, we're told you are God's fellow workers and you are God's field. And you are God's what? Building. The church is People. And then in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, he even ups the ante, so to speak. Or do you not know that your body is the... It's not just a building. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God and you are not your own. Now that means that everything we just said isn't just corporately true for a body of believers. It's personally true for us as individuals. God will never forsake you. The rivers of life will not overtake you. The fiery trials will not consume you. You. And like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the Son of God is going to go through your fiery trials with you and the smell of smoke will not even be on you. Listen, He's still parting the Red Sea type circumstances of life. He's still causing the Jordan River at flood stage situations of life to stand up in a heap so we can cross over into His promises. And listen, the 20 year history of CCT has reminded us that with God, the humanly impossible is a regular occurrence, and nothing we face in life will ever be faced alone. One more thing, and I'll let you go this morning. Now, this is another of my favorite verses, and it also represents my least favorite aspect of our history and memories and life as a believer. And Marty sang about it this morning. In Isaiah 54:17, we're told this: No weapon, say no weapon. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that speaks against you in judgment, you shall condemn. For this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is because they are so awesome and cool people. And their righteousness is what? From me, says the Lord. Now there have been many pivotal moments in the history of CCT. And the fact is one of the major moments in this church, it was a turning point, Terry and I still talk about it, To this day, it was a turning point in the life of this church. And it was in 2005 and 2006 when we studied a little book, 13 chapters called Nehemiah. As we studied each verse, something began to form from our weekly studies as we went through chapter after chapter after chapter. And they were paralleling the very things that Nehemiah was encountering and enduring. And it began to build as we began to teach and God began to reveal and it became what we refer to as the CCT manifesto. You may have heard it, you may not have. It's on our website and it still stands there and will always until the Lord comes to take us home, perhaps today. And it goes like this. I am a child of God destined to make a difference. I will not doubt or fear in the face of adversity. I am committed to God's will for my life, no matter what opposition may come. Listen close. I will praise God for every blessing and through every trial, for he will never fail me. I will put God first every day of my life that I may hear him say, well done. We repeated this Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and it began with that one simple first statement. As we studied Nehemiah, the first thing we learned was, I am a child of God, destined to make a difference. Then we learned there's going to be adversity. Then we learned there's going to be opposition. Then we learned we're supposed to praise God through adversity and opposition. And then we learned we're supposed to put him first. And then we learned someday we're going to hear, well done. Now, what we learned from Nehemiah is that building a work for God is going to be opposed and we have to maintain our commitment to our calling in the face of adversity as Nehemiah did. Now, one of the key chapters there was right in the heart of the book, chapter 6, 1-4, to four, where we're told it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at that time I had not hung the doors and the gates. So Sanballat, Geshem, uh, and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together in the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent me this message four times and I answered them in the same manner. Now listen, one of the things we took away from Nehemiah 6 was when the enemy invites you to come down to the plains of Ono, just say, oh no, I cannot come down. I am doing a great work. And you say that no matter how many times he asked. Nehemiah was doing a great work. He would not listen. He would not let them drag him down to their level. He said, oh no, to their invitations to diminish what God was doing in his life. Now, in our 20 years, we've had our share of enemy encounters. We've had our share of invitations to, oh no. And it always hasn't been easy to say, oh no, to oh no. But listen, if you ever want to find out whether or not the devil is real, just try opposing him, for, opposing him for a while or doing something for God's name and glory. Now, let me give you a couple of things that have been our experiences over the years, just for history's sake and your information. We spent a decade in our new sanctuary over across uh, where our initial building was in Tustin. And we had a fire inspector come through every year, as every building does, and there were men and women that came through to inspect the building, and they were awesome, and they were wonderful, and they occasionally had a minor correction or word of instruction for us uh, to do. And we would take care of those things, and it was no problem. And then came the fire inspector from hell. I don't know why he hated us, but I do know he did. He wrote us up, he made ridiculous man uh, demands to the point that a call was made by the company we used, uh, our fire sprinkler uh, sprinkler contractor. He made a call to the fire marshal to report what this guy was doing. This guy wanted us, if you were ever at our Sixth Street complex, we had these blue awnings over each entry door on both of the main buildings. We had the fellowship hall and the main sanctuary. He wanted us to put fire sprinklers under a cloth awning that was attached to a concrete building. And the guy who called on our behalf said, you show me where there is one sprinkler under an awning in all of Orange County and we'll put them in. Well, they couldn't find any. So they had this fire inspector move on, but he did put some things on us that we begin to have to deal with. And uh, you know, they were, unfortunately, cost a lot of money, some of them, and they required plans to be submitted to the city, in which we had the plans drawn up. We submitted to the city these plans, and the city came back and said, what's this for? You don't have a conditional use permit for the building you're meeting in. Excuse me? We've been meeting there for 10 years. What do you mean we don't have a conditional use permit? When the time came for us to go to that building, we had gone to the city. We had told them what we were doing. They said, here's what you need to do. We can do an administrative expansion to your existing conditional use permit, or CCT, and just incorporate that building. We said, okay, what do we need? We just need a rough draft of what you'd like to do. So we had one drawn up. I can't. It may have even been hand-drawn, I can't remember. But we submitted that, and I called and talked to the lady in the planning department and said, okay, did you get the drawing? Yeah, you guys are good, okay. So we went on our way. And then 10 years later, we find out that that was temporary. So then we had to have actual drawings drawn up by an architect. We then began to have to meet all the standards that they required. We had to do an earthquake retrofit. They had tens of thousands of dollars of the American Disabilities Act, uh, things that they wanted us to do to the building. They wanted us to put ramps into the main sanctuary that didn't have any steps. A ramp up what? Well, what's the ramp for? There's a ramp to get in the door already. What do we need a ramp for? But anyway, just to go through all this, it was kind of an interesting time because to be honest with you, there for a series of months, I kept waiting for Pastor Dave to call to say there's a red tag on the door. We can't use the sanctuary. But if God be for us, who can be against us? And he was for us. Now, let me just say this, too. There were a lot of personal weapons formed against me over the years as well. And if you have a couple days, I'll tell you about the ones going on right now. (laughs) But let me just give you a little insight into what it's like to do this and to have a radio ministry or be uh, on his channel or any of those things. I'd said something in a sermon one time about the suspicious means by which the Book of Mormon came into existence, to say nothing of the content that is totally contrary to the Bible. This went out on the radio. Well, what it resulted in was a young man who was a Mormon had some sincere, legitimate questions. He wanted to know, what What did you say? I've been taught this my whole life, and he had a list of questions for me. Well, hey, I'm all over that. So I answered his questions, I sent them back to him and I think that he sent those questions or showed those questions to some of the leadership at his ward. And I say that because for the next two months, I got emails from everyone in Utah. (laughs) And they weren't nice. They called me the Antichrist. They questioned my family, they called me four-letter names. They swore at me. And I thought, hey, where's all those nice people that show up at the door? What would you do with them? For two months, I came under attack. And then two of them show up on a Wednesday night at the church. I just happened to be teaching through the book of Zechariah. They sat through the study. I saw them coming at the door. I thought, all right, here we go. It's time to cha-cha. We are going to... It's on like Donkey Kong. And here we go, baby. But the older of the two came up to me and said, thank you. That was great. I never heard that before. That was a wonderful Bible study. And that season of attack came to an end as fast as it began. Now I say that for this reason. I don't want you to, oh, you know, you poor pastors or any of that. This isn't about sympathy. This isn't about anything along those lines. But listen, what it is and what I want you to get from this is that none of the weapons formed against CCT or me have ever prospered. And there have been plenty. There have been personal attacks on me uh, within the body of Christ. Just crazy things. I've been lied about, lied to, told I was a phony, a hypocrite. I've been kicked off of a radio station. False accusations made and spread about me all within the body of Christ. But... I showed up this morning for church because God had my back the whole time. Now, in all that, I kept hearing this wonderful voice that would often say, what a joy, with a golden smile, Pastor Chuck. He said something that I've kept with me for many, many decades or years. And he said in a sermon one time, Every time I try and defend myself, the Lord lets me. So I thought, I'm hanging with Marty Getz. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. Somebody say, amen. Here's the last thing I want you to remember, and I'll let you go. Listen, with God, say with God, the enemy may attack, but he will never have the victory. With God, the enemy may attack. God allows rivers. God allows fiery trials. God allows difficult circumstances. As Marty reminded us this morning, in this world, you will have tribulation, but we can be of good cheer for the Lord has overcome the world. And therefore the enemy will never have the victory. And Paul reminded the church in Corinth in ten four to five of his second letter, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself Against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now the enemy wants to invite us down to Oh No so he can slow down our ability to pull down his strongholds. So that's why we say Oh No to Oh No. So, in summary, what is the history of CCT? Miracles, God's faithfulness, and God's protection. What is the present status of CCT? Miracles, God's faithfulness and God's protection. What is the future for CCT? Miracles, God's faithfulness and God's protection. He is the Lord and he does not change. And that will be true until one day we get up or one night we're laying in bed And the Lord turns and tells the angel with the trumpet at his lips, blow that thing and let's end it. Get my people home. And it will happen in the moment and the twinkling of an eye. So on this, our 20th anniversary of the work God began, let's make sure we give him all the glory for all that he has done. And I'd like to end our service by doing just that this morning with a word of prayer. So would you stand with me this morning and let's close in prayers. the band comes out for a closing song and give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Father, we are so grateful for the things we have recounted today, the things that we look back on with fondness, the things we look back on with not so much fondness, but realize they are realities. And Lord, we want to thank you for getting us through them all. Thank you for opening the doors on uh, at uh, Columbus Tustin Middle School. Thank you for opening the doors on 6th Street. Thank you for opening the doors across the parking lot for our sanctuary on 6th Street. Thank you for opening the doors for this place. And we know when you open a door, no one can shut it. So therefore, we give you the glory for all you have done over these years. Thank you for getting us through lean times. Thank you for allowing us to help so many with that which has been cheerfully given at this church over the years. (coughs) We thank you, Lord, that you have protected us from attacks, from without and within, and that you are and have been and will be our defense. So Lord, we want to pause on this day of celebration and honor you and thank you and give you glory for every soul that was saved at this church, every marriage that was healed at this church, every person that was encouraged and strengthened economically or just emotionally at this church. We want to acknowledge that it is you who have done this and not we ourselves. So we want to pause and thank you and honor you and give you glory for Calvary Chapel Tustin from the first Sunday in Dave and Rhonda's to this one. All that has happened for good has been because of you. So we praise you. We honor you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.